Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, stay connected wherever you go and transform your vehicle into a dependable Wi-Fi hotspot. Powering applications like real-time GPS and voice assistant, navigation becomes a breeze. Even on the practice field, AT&T in-car Wi-Fi keeps you connected while in proximity of your vehicle. Work, stream shows, or finish homework without missing a beat. See if you're eligible for a free trial at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. Don't let connectivity be a roadblock in your journey. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow as we break down all that is happening with respect to the Giants and the Seahawks. Monday Night Football has arrived. we got a Indeed. game tonight. We were on Friday's program. We did a lot of breakdown with respect to that, but we'll build off of that because the injury report, Paul, was not out when we were on Correct. Friday. So I want to get to that. But a reminder that the official luxury vehicle of the New York Football Giants is Cadillac and Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by Cadillac and multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can also hit us up on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So the injury report came out later on Friday after we were on. Let's start on the Giants side of things. Mm -hmm. Brian Dable had talked with the media earlier, and he had indicated that Andrew Thomas went out there and was trying to give it a go, and unfortunately just didn't feel right. So he was ruled out on Friday. He'll miss his third straight game at the left tackle position. And then Saquon, who also actually spoke to the media on Friday, and talked about what it's been like through the rehab process. He says he's ahead of schedule, the doctors are encouraged, but we then later learned, based on the injury report, that he's listed as doubtful. So Saquon is going to miss his second straight game as a result. Yeah, the issue with Saquon is really pretty simple. He's been limited at practice over the course of the week. Uh, last week now, I keep forgetting it's Monday. Yes, it's, it's a all a week. mesh. It's yes. a new week now. Indeed. Uh, he was limited. He did some stuff during individual drills. Uh, would not discuss anything specific beyond that. We saw him during the media portions of practice do some cutting, some running. But there wasn't really a tremendous amount there that would make you believe that he was going to play. And so when Dable said what he said about it'll be a game-time decision and then they listed him as doubtful, to me, this was not a surprise. I thought all along that there was an outside, excuse me, there was an outside chance that he would make it for Seattle. And I think that Barkley wants to play in this game tonight. I truly do believe that. But the Giants must weigh the risk factor of bringing him back a little bit too soon and then having long-term effects hamper his effectiveness. And that, to me, is where the whole question lies. Sure. Because if you play him tonight, and it's so easy to aggravate an ankle sprain, 
You could be talking the next two months, he won't be the same player. That's just not worth it to this team, as opposed to give him the extra week. You've got a Dolphins game in five and a half days. Let's not forget that either. Sunday, one o'clock, five and a half days, you've got another game. And if he's ready then, fine. Maybe that means he can be as close to 100% as possible, and and now you can get maximum efficiency out of him for the next several weeks as the Giants try to get themselves dusted off and back into this into this picture. I understand the dilemma. So to me, doubtful was not a surprise. Yeah, I'm with you. I wasn't surprised at all. Plus, you also look at Saquon's missed time previously with ankle injuries. Now, you could tell me all you want. It wasn't all the high ankle sprain variety, but... He missed three games one time. He missed four the other time, Paul. So, I mean, this would be extreme ahead of schedule if he were to play tonight. After missing two games, it would really be almost unheard of, even if you look at other players who went through similar injuries. And Barkley, by the way, did confirm it is a high ankle sprain. He spoke with the media. We know we heard that through other individuals that he had talked with, but he himself went in front of reporters on Friday and said, yes, I'm dealing with a high ankle sprain. You know what's interesting about that, though? And I don't mean to contradict in any way, but the evidence, the eyewitness evidence, shows that if it is... The high ankle sprain is not your typical high ankle sprain. I think when he says that, he's talking more about the location of the injury as opposed to the severity. Because usually when we associate a high ankle sprain with a player, there's an air cast on it right away, or there's a boot on it right away. They keep him off his feet. They'll put him on crutches. And the guy's basically out for at least a month. That's pretty much the way it works with a high ankle sprain. Well, that's not been the case. Since he got hurt in that game, he has not been in a boot. He has not been in an air cast. He has not been on crutches. And he's been out there with his teammates running some drills. You don't usually do that with a high ankle sprain within the first two to three weeks of getting the injury. So I question, yes, I guess the the, the semantics are maybe that's physically where it is. But it's not your typical when you think of high ankle sprain, which means the guy has to be immobilized and can't do anything for a few weeks. That's not the case. No, there's mobility on the part of Saquon Barkley. A lot of mobility. Mobility doesn't necessarily mean it's football mobility, Paul. Those are two different things. That, to me, is why they're probably going to be super, super cautious. He may even dress tonight and not play. It's possible. That could happen, too. But I would think for the sake of maybe having an extra body or if they call up somebody from the practice squad, if you're not going to play him, there really is no purpose of putting him in uniform. But we'll see whether or not Miami is something that is realistic. To your point, it's another quick turnaround, and then they'll have Buffalo. But the worst thing you could do with a soft tissue injury is come back too soon and make it 10 times worse. That's what, by the way, Andrew Thomas is going through right now. Mm -hmm. You know, When Brian Abel says they put him out there and he just doesn't feel right, it's because the worst thing you want to do is, well, let him play through it. Don't worry, he can handle it. And then it becomes Correct. 10 times more severe. And now you're talking about Andrew Thomas is out without any hesitation for multiple weeks. And I don't think the Giants want to put themselves no. in that position. No. Now, with respect to the offensive line configuration, Ben Bredesen is through concussion protocol. And Brian Dable earlier in the week had indicated if Dable and Thomas were both to return, they go back to how the left side operated prior to the injury. So you're probably looking at Josh Azudu filling in for Andrew Thomas at left tackle. Bredesen, I'm going left to right. John Michael Schmitz, Marcus McKeithen, who Brian Dable said is staying at right guard, and then Evan Neal at right tackle. We talked about this on Friday. The Seahawks defensive line, it's not Dallas. It's not San Francisco. I do think Jaron Reed is a bit of an under- 
valued player because he does have the ability to stop the run and get after the quarterback, but nowhere near the same level. So, oh, can he's the not Giants... playing the tackles either. He's correct. A, he's exactly. an interior guy. Sure, he's an interior guy. But you know, those interior guys can create some. Havoc. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. But if if anyone wants to make an assumption out of Azudu playing left tackle, who does he go against? He goes up against Edwards, who has all of two tackles, one tackle for a loss, and two quarterback hits so far this year. Yeah, they don't have heavy lifters. Correct, yeah. They're more good as a team as opposed to the individual parts. If you're looking specifically at the defensive front, I think they got playmakers on the secondary, Mm -hmm. but as far as the defensive front, it's more of what the group does within the scheme than one guy in particular. Now, with respect to the run game, the run game was non-existent against San Francisco. I mean, let's not beat around it. The evidence was overwhelming. Part of that was the flow of the game, and Daniel Jones did not run much. Is this a game where, okay, you know you don't have Saquon. Do you now put an emphasis more on Daniel Jones? It's interesting because when you take into consideration games that Saquon hasn't played, specifically, even if you go back to the Seattle game last season, and Saquon played in that game, and the Seahawks actually did a really nice job honing in on the Giants' rushing attack. Daniel did not play a prominent role on the ground in that game. And I understand that game was last season and things have changed on both sides of the equation. But my point is, in games where Saquon hasn't played, the trend and the track record is that Daniel Paul has not all of a sudden lit it up on the ground. Though I would argue, I think they are going to need to take their fair share of chances with him being much more involved than he was in that San Francisco game. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that they've got to take the handcuffs off of Jones tonight. And I think it's got to be more through the air like I did last week against San Fran. It didn't work out that way. And they came up short, way short. I think that, you know, they've got to attack knowing that Seattle does not have a ferocious pass rush and knowing that their secondary is is really not altogether in rhythm and not performing at a very high level. I know Jamal Adams is coming back, but he's a box safety. He's never been a really great cover safety. Never. Okay? If anything, they're really good rush defense because of uh, Brooks linebackers. And, yeah. and Wagner. Yep. If anything, Adams will add to their rush defense, which is allowing less than three yards a carry. Yeah, the hustle plays. Okay? So if anything, it seems to me that it's got to be Daniel whipping the ball through the air and also, unfortunately, to some degree using his legs because running backs don't characteristically do very well against the Seattle defense. If you're going to get rushing yardage against their defense, it's probably going to have to be through the help of the quarterback's legs. And that's why I think he's the player to watch. I mean, it goes without saying he's the quarterback, but we're not talking about necessarily what he's going to do with respect to throwing for 300 yards. It's more about what can he do to generate offense and maybe shorten the third downs with his legs. Now, as far as the Seahawks injury report is concerned, you know, they have a lengthy group that is not going to play, but some of these guys have already been out. So this is not necessarily a dramatic change. For example, they're down their left tackle, Charles Cross, but he has missed the previous two games, so there's going to be, like Andrew Thomas, his third straight game out with a toe injury, and then one of their corners, Kobe Bryant, is out with a toe injury. Neither one of those guys practiced all week, but they're getting Reek Woolen back, who is arguably their best cornerback, opposite Devin Witherspoon, who was their first-round pick this year, one of their first-round picks, and Jamal Adams, who you mentioned, so they are getting some players of note on the back end, and as far as their offensive line is concerned, you know, we talked about this on previous programs, 
there was one point in the last game they were down four of their starting offensive linemen mm -hmm. because guys were going in and out, yet they have scored 37 points in each of the last two games. And even though Cross is out, Stone Forsyth has started the last two games, and Jack Curhan, who started at right tackle in place of Abraham Lucas, who has been on IR. So you're not inserting new tackles. Damian Lewis is going to play left guard. Evan Brown's on the injury report at center, but I listened to Pete Carroll's conversation with the media he had indicated that he was hit in the thigh during practice he should be fine yeah and then phil haynes will be back at right guard because he does not have an injury designation he missed week three so the interior of the seahawks offensive line is back they're gonna have their three starters the changes the tackles but once again the two tackles have been starting over the last few games and they have done at least a good enough job are they not giving up pressures no they're giving up pressures but they have been able to sustain the offensive flow. So the question is, and this goes back to, once again, previous conversations, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Aziz Ojolari's back tonight for the Giants. Will those four guys be disruptive enough where you get a game-changing type of play? Because I think that's what you need on defense at this point, especially since the Seahawks offense, for the most part, has been fairly consistent. Let's look at Geno Smith for a second. He's averaging three seconds even per pass attempt which is, I believe, the fifth slowest in the National Yeah, three Football seconds League. is slow, which is amazing because Purdy's getting rid of it in well, a flash. It's the way the game has changed, yeah. right? Back in the day, three and a half wasn't unusual. Now he's at three, and he's fifth slowest in the league. Okay, so he will, on occasion, hold the ball, and that's what ups that average, per se, because there are other times where they're getting rid of it within a heartbeat, and that's what the Giants' pass rushers are aware of. He's only been sacked five times this year and only been hit 16 times. Yeah, that's why I said they've done a okay. pretty good job. Those, those are very respectable numbers for, for their offensive line. Now, the reason that I've been told that that's happening, and you know, I look at the tape too, but talking to some scouts, they're saying that Geno is a perfect fit for this offense. They have really got this thing in unison with what he does well. And he is so comfortable, and this is why last year he wound up having way beyond a career year. He busted out after basically 10 years of nothing, of, of mediocrity to garbage. And, and last year had a great year, and primarily because they were saying to me, Pete Carroll's offense, with what they're doing in Seattle, he is so confident, he is so comfortable. On times when he's got to get the ball out right away, he can and he usually always makes the right decision as to where to put the ball. That's the thing. He won't put it in harm's way. He's finding the right guy in a flash. And when you got a quarterback playing that way, it's going to reduce the amount of mistakes that he makes, and it's going to make it a lot harder for you to beat him. Well, I think what's helped him, just to piggyback off of your point, remember, 2021 was Russell Wilson's last year. Geno was on the roster as Russ's backup, and mm -hmm. Shane Waldron who came in as the offensive coordinator, that was his first year installing the system. Right. So what I think helped is Geno, he wasn't playing as much. There was a point where Russ got hurt, if you remember, middle of the season, he filled in. But for the most part, Geno was able to take a step back and fully digest the scheme. Then he takes over as the starter in 22 when Russell leaves to go to Denver. And I think that helped him. You're talking about now, Paul, well, that's three straight years of being with the same play caller and the same scheme. You're going to tell me that hasn't made a difference? Uh, it's pretty crazy if you think that that's a coincidence. I have to believe there's something to it. I'm completely with you, and that's why I'm selling that, because 
this is not to make excuses, but if you go to the early stages in his career, Gino did not have that luxury with the Jets. No, he did not. So he also never showed anything. No, I mean, well, tr- trust me, he was given up for dead as an NFL quarterback. Yeah. In fact, most people probably thought Seattle was insane when they figured that they would give him the starting job after they traded Wilson to Denver. But what I would argue is the Jets also didn't provide the ability for him to truly also show what he could do because it was a revolving oh, door. Yeah. He had a cup of coaches and here. playmakers. Yeah, but I mean, but he was and, and and no nobody nobody here was clamoring to keep him. No, because I mean, once again, he was brought in as the backup. I know he did start for that one game with respect to Eli Manning, but at the end of the day, they weren't bringing him in to save the day as the starting quarterback. No. Seattle brought him in initially as the backup, and then they said, "All right, hey, we're going to go with Geno. We're comfortable based on what we've seen behind the scenes." The other thing that I think is important to note with respect to the offense, the missed tackling. We talked about Wink Martindale speaking to the media last week, and he said, hey, watch Monday night. Keep a tally. Okay, well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people out there that can get their pen and pencils out to I'm sure whether or not the missed tackling is cleaned up because you look at Kenneth Walker, you look at Zach Charbonnet, these guys are physically-minded players. Mm-hmm. You know, they thrive in terms of getting tackled because they know how to bounce off of defenders. So you've got to keep a five-yard run a five-yard run. You cannot allow leakage in that department. The best way I can describe this, for, for some of you older folks who know the black and blue division, they used to call that the NFC Central, where you had the Lions and the Vikings and the Packers and the Bears. And they used to call it the black and blue division because there was a lot of extra physicality, specifically in the run games of all those teams and in the rush defenses of all those teams. Well, that's what this Seattle team reminds me of. They're a black and blue division team between Brooks and uh, um, and uh, uh, Wagner. Wagner. Yeah. I mean, they're they're just thumpers against the run and their running backs get yards after contact. So that's what they are. They're a black and blue division type football team. They're not your typical West Coast team who's going to want to be a little bit more finesse and fling it around. They're even not like the old Seattle Seahawks that had the Legion of Doom in the secondary. No, that's not what this team is like. They're an old black and blue division, run-stuffing, run-yards-after-contact kind of team. Well, that's why you have to be well-disciplined in a game like this. Sure you do. Because you know, they're just going to run at you. you know, they're not like the Niners. They're not going to put all the bells and whistles out there and try to catch you off guard. They're going to run right in your direction. And, it's and your Walker will have some down. cutback ability too. Yeah, well, that's why, once again, if he's in front of you, you got to bring him down because I think that's going to define this game. The other position that I don't think gets enough attention but I think is important to highlight is the Seahawks don't have flashy tight ends. If you played fantasy football, you would not be enamored by these guys. But they're key in terms of the blocking with respect to the run game. And also, Geno doesn't hesitate in dumping it off to them. And it looks like Will Disley's going to return. They have Noah Fant. They have a few guys that can get some of the hidden yardage, is my point. So the role those guys play in the trenches in terms of additional blocking and in the short yardage area, you know, that could be the difference between a third and seven versus a third and four for Seattle tonight. And that's why I would not get too caught up in the numbers. You look at the receiving statistics. These guys are not lighting things up, but if you watch Seahawks games, they do a lot of the dirty work. So I think it's easy to highlight DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, but I would keep close tabs on these tight ends. Geno has 
been revolving around them and utilizing them game in and game out. So whether it's a key third down conversion, something to help open up things for Kenneth Walker or Zach Charbonnet, those tight ends have put their stamp all over this offense thus far. See, I'm going to go elsewhere. For me, the X factor is Smith Najigba because he has barely done anything through their first three games. Well, he hasn't had an overwhelming amount of targets. It's much not like, much. I mean, you could say Jalen Hyatt's in the same boat. It's not that they're bad players. Okay. It's just they have not had a lot of advice. Right, and that's yeah. my point. That's why I think he's the X factor tonight because it's easy to sleep on a guy who hasn't had many opportunities. But all of a sudden, there's going to be a week when Jalen Hyatt's going to break out. I don't know when that week is going to be. Or when Smith Najigba is going to break out. And they're going to have a really big game. It's going to happen for both of these receivers at some point during the course of their rookie seasons. For the Giants' sake, I hope it's not tonight with Smith and the Jigba because he's, he's got a lot of ability. Absolutely. I mean, he was taken early in the draft for a reason. And Pete Carroll has been asked about this at multiple press conferences. He says, you know, we just need to find other ways to get him the football because 14 targets, he has nine receptions on those 14 targets. It's not as if Geno and him have not been on the same page. It's just, you know, once again, you utilize the tight ends, you utilize the running backs. Yeah, for a whopping 57 yards, though. I mean, well, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not telling you his numbers are jumping off the page, but you can't make the argument in fairness. You can't say Jalen Hyatt has talented upside. And then point to his numbers. Oh, I'm not making no, no, I'm that not argument. You, no, I'm talking about in general. If you're, comparing I'm saying be very two. careful. Yeah, <laughs> be no, very, no. very careful. I, I'm just talking. Be about... wary. Be scared of those two guys. Because Hyatt on the Giants side, Smith sure. and Jigba on the Seahawks side. Because I think Seattle should feel the same way. Absolutely. about Hyatt, yeah. especially with their secondary and the way that they're giving up yards by chunks, giving up the most big plays of any defense in the league. <laughs> you think Jalen Hyatt hasn't figured that out by looking at looking at what he's looking at? No, absolutely. That's why you look at the Seattle secondary, you just wonder, some of these guys they're getting back, is that going to make a difference? Or the Seattle secondary is just who they are at this point, and they're going to continue to give up some of those explosive plays. I'm sort of in the middle ground. I do think Reek Woolen had a fantastic rookie year, and I think getting him back is going to be huge. Witherspoon has played pretty well, all things considered. You can tell me all you want. You don't think Jamal Adams is a good cover guy, but he's definitely a hustle guy where he can run to the football and help with the tackling. But I think Reek Wooling, having him back opposite Witherspoon can go a long way to help shore up some of the issues they have on the back end. I got Witherspoon down for nine completions uh, and two touchdowns on 22 targets. Not exactly a great uh, start to his rookie season. I've seen things from just watching. I I think he's handled himself quite well. And, you know, listen, you're going to give up plays. Deontay Banks is going to give up plays. So no you're not expecting a guy to come in and be a shutdown. But all guy. rookies make rookie mistakes. Without a doubt. Yeah. And the key is, for the opposition, you have to make those things fatal. You have to make the team pay for their rookie mistakes. Just like teams want to do that to uh, Hawkins and... and uh, yeah. and uh, um, yeah, Banks. Banks. Hawkins and Banks, yeah. I mean, when they make mistakes... Other teams want to make the Giants pay for those. They haven't really done that to this point, to be frank with you. Banks and Hawkins have done a really good job. Banks in particular has been terrific. Speaking of that. But he will make mistakes at some point too. I thought Jerome Henderson, who spoke to the media on Friday, was very forthright and forthcoming, if you noticed, with respect to his analysis of the young corners. And he even said, hey, they went back with Trey Hawkins. They watched the Niners game. And Mm -hmm. he wanted a little bit more physicality out of him Mm -hmm. with respect to tackling. And they had some heart-to-heart conversations. He's been happy with the coverage, but young guys also have a long way to go in terms of the tackling. Because we're talking about missed tackling. 
cornerbacks are critical <laughs> in helping with You're tackling. You're not kidding. Right? Because we always focus on the coverage, but the good run-stopping teams, the corners are engaged in helping the big boys up front stop the run. I'm so glad you said that because I've been trying to tell people all week, Metcalf and Lockett do a really good job of blocking downfield. They allow some of those short to medium runs to become longer runs. Sure. They've always done that. Both of these players are very good at helping to turn medium kind of plays into bigger plays. The Giants secondary better make sure they come up and support when necessary. And that's why if you want to keep yourself in games and you don't want an offense that put up 37 points the last two games, the best way to do that is you get back to the fundamentals, which obviously has been an issue for the Giants. And then can the offensive line give Daniel Jones an opportunity to target the likes of Jalen Hyatt and Darren Waller? You know, it comes back to the same issues we've been talking about all season. Can you find a way to shore that up? If you do, you know, then you could more than compete with Seattle. You can't. It could very well be a duplication of what we've seen. few announcements before we open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513. Giants Auto Podcast, you can check that out on your favorite podcast platform. You can also go to Giants.com slash podcast. October 2nd, which is today, the Giants are going to host the Seahawks for Monday Night Football. They're going to be celebrating Latino Heritage Month in partnership with Ford and supported by Duncan, PNC Private Bank, and the City College of New York. Fans attending are encouraged to arrive early to enjoy sampling of Latin cuisine, dance exhibitions, live music, giveaways, and more. Dedicated tailgate zone will be located just outside of the Verizon gate. As far as tickets are concerned, you have two options. You can still pursue a Giants season membership as well as single tickets for a season membership. They're now available. Learn more about all the exclusive member benefits. You can visit Giants.com tickets. Limited inventory is available for single game tickets. They're also on sale now. You go to Giants.com tickets to secure your seat. Run or walk with Giants legends. Giants Foundation will host a 5K race and kids run that's presented by Quest. Sunday, October 8th, 9 a.m. Eastern, MetLife Stadium. Net proceeds will benefit the Giants Foundation. All participants will receive a commemorative t-shirt. And after the race, you can stay for a post-race festival with appearances by Giants legends and a live DJ. Register now at Giants.com slash 5K. And the Giants' official connected TV streaming app is Giants TV. It brings you original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. All right, let's open up the phone lines as we move forward here on Monday's edition of BBKL. We check in with Randy in California. Randy, what's happening? Good morning, guys. How you doing? We're doing well. What's on your mind? Hey, I had a question for you. So at the end of the season, I mean, I I know Neil's doing everything he can to try to get that position down. But do you see uh, at the end of the season, maybe next season, moving him into guard? And instead of going into the draft, doing the same old offensive line hunt with another rookie, do you think maybe we can give up a high-round pick and maybe try to sign a high-priced veteran to seal that spot up so we can start throwing the ball? Well, first of all, for a high-priced veteran who's a really proven left tackle or a right tackle, most likely those teams are going to retain their rights or give them the franchise tag. So I would say if you're expecting to find a game-changer that way, it's probably unlikely that that's going to happen. Paul, as far as moving Evan Deal into guard, and we've received a lot of phone calls, I mean, first of all, you got to take into consideration, you got McKeithen and you got Azudu, two young guys they're very high mm-hmm. on. So you have options already at guard. I don't think you're going to push either one Bredesen's of them out of the way. not that old either. Bredesen too. So... It doesn't make any sense. And also, Neil and his size and his length may not be practical also to play. It's not. 
So it's not. Yeah. I, I laugh at all these suggestions about this because Neil Neil does not have the physical tools to play guard. Okay. He'll never get leverage at his size and length. That'll never happen. And then the other thing is his footwork is not quick enough. Now, I know you're going to say to me, well, is he quick enough to deal with guys off the edge? But that's a small box that he's dealing with with his footwork there. Yeah, does he have to improve it? Does he have to get it better? Yes, he does. But now, if you're trying to put him at guard, and now you want to pull him out in a zone scheme kind of running game or get him out to, to, to pull the other way on a counter, he's got no chance. He just he doesn't have that kind of athleticism. So basically, if you put him at guard, you can throw out three or four chapters of your playbook. I mean, that that's how much that makes sense. It makes none. Yeah, I'm all, I'm I'm fooling for him too. You know what I mean? I hope he really does because I would love to see that offense line finally take that step so we can start throwing the ball. But it's been a revolving door and a problem for years. Well, Randy, that's in fairness, though, that's going to rely on the four other guys on the offensive line, too. One right. guy alone is not right. going to save that, too. So you got to take that into consideration yeah. and appreciate the phone call. Thanks for giving us a ring. You, know, you can have a breakdown at one position, but if the other guys play well, they still may not be able to cover up those issues, vice versa. It goes both yeah. ways. Look, with to I get line. it. Nobody wants to have any patience with Evan Neal because he's played, what, 17 regular season games in two years given the fact that he had the sprained MCL last year, amongst other injuries. Uh, yeah, I get it. Patience. Patience is something people don't have, especially with a top-10 draft choice. I totally understand that. But <laughs> that that's your best bet. If you're looking for the Giants' future right tackle, he is your best bet. And also, when you bring up the volume of games, and I've mentioned this multiple times, he just finished his rookie year. Right. It just wrapped up. Right. Right? So... You're now entering year two. Normally, when we talk about tackles, Andrew Thomas, if we had the same conversation about Andrew Thomas after year one, people wanted to get rid of him too. So it's more of a reason why this idea that if a player struggles, you immediately start to look at other options. I don't think that's practical. I think if you draft a guy as high as you did with Evan Neal, you know, you are committed that you're going to buy time and see how it pans out. By the public's reaction to this poor guy, you think he's Tony Mandarich. Right? Well, because, you know, right now, I think the offensive line has been a troublesome area, Paul. So everyone. And, and some of you season. out there probably are a little too young and don't remember Tony Mandarich, but he's the poster child for being the super Godzilla-like, you know, mammoth, unstoppable, ferocious tackle who is going to be the prototype and will be a future Hall of Famer and everyone forever will be measured by Tony Mandarich, who got drafted into the NFL and was a complete bust. And I think didn't even make his fourth season in the league before he was out. I can look that up, yeah. You know, of course, he had other issues off the field, too. With Obviously, that during that era of the NFL, there were a lot of chemical issues as well. Sure. Well, he was in the league Yeah, but from he was a quarterback. 19, Got John chiming in here with Jamarcus Russell. 1989 to 1992 with the Packers, Mandarich, and then 96 to 98 with the Colts. Yeah, but didn't, so, didn't, didn't no, start a whole lot either. Sure. But, I mean, he's still, for a guy under that label. Well, he, he was the 150% can't miss, like, King Kong Godzilla tackle. Yep. And total fizz. Huh? That's why the draft is an inexact science, as we've mentioned multiple times. He actually, I'm bringing up his Colts numbers. He started all 16 games in 1997. He started 10 in 98. 
So did he have a full yeah, season towards the latter part of his career? I don't even remember still, that because they were. I guess they they were yeah. they were they were not very impressive games. No, but he is always known as like the one of the biggest busts ever. Well. Green Bay, three years, and then three with the Indianapolis Colts. But when the Colts brought him in, they he did start him. for one oh, full season. Yeah, I mean, even ten games in ninety-eight. I stand corrected on so, that. Yeah, but I don't stand corrected on his production. Well, he's, I wasn't. He is, he is regarded I wasn't disputing as an all-time bust. I was just saying that he was given a second chance yeah. with Indy, and they did utilize him as a starter. All right, let's head back to the lines. Eli's in Long Branch, joining us here on BBKO. What's happening, Eli? Hey guys, how are you? We're doing right. What's on your mind? What's going on? By the way, I met you. I met both of you at both that uh, Giants training camp and everything. It was cool to meet you guys. Well, thanks for coming out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. What do you go? I mean, the team. The team looked. All all I gotta say and everything is the team looked very good at everything then and everything. But uh, these past two games and everything, we obviously haven't looked too good. Um. About the about the Niners game and everything. Uh. What do you call it? The I, I I was I thought everything on the on the third and fifteenth. I was sorry to go back there and everything. I know it's been a while and everything, and we're all moving on to the Seahawks game now. But on the third and fifteen, um, and the, like the third and twelves and everything, I thought and everything we should just play like a a a, cons- a more like basic kind of defense and everything instead of blitzing at all. Just basically line your guys up at the sticks or line your, like, you know, just don't let you get those 15 yards. I'll give you, you know, five yards or whatever, but I'm not going to let you get those 15 yards or whatever. Well, Eli, you could argue that guys were in position on both of those plays you're referencing, and it was missed tackling that led to the first down. I don't think it was necessarily the scheme or the play. So, I I mean, I don't really think it matters what the alignment was. I saw, yeah, so I saw Dexter miss a tackle and everything on one of those things. Uh, but he was right in position and everything. He was just like, uh, he, uh, while rewatching the film, um, he was like, right, he was right there. I, I could have done for him. Like, he just like. See, that's why like, I'm against you on the scheme question because I think that, and, and I know you're a big guy on tracking first downs and third downs and stuff. You probably don't have this, though, Lance. How many of those third down conversions were because of missed tackles or yards after contact? See, it would be a schematic problem if the bulk of those came before there was contact or if there were no missed tackles. Yeah, nobody was in the vicinity. But but I would submit to you, just by going off memory, and I don't have numbers on this, that there were a bunch of those situations, especially the third and longs, where missed tackles and yards after contact allowed for San Francisco to move the sticks. In other words, there were guys in position to make the defensive play to get them off the field, and they didn't do it, which means it's an execution problem. It's not a scheme problem. I got you. Well, I also feel like everything left, like going back to last year and everything, I remember there were several plays and everything that that we were were in like a third and long or something like that. And they they just you know they I don't know if it was a speed problem or whatever they just they they converted it of course I think going back to the Baltimore game last year I think um they they was one of the games and everything where they just like they had like a third and forever and everything. And well, Kenyon like, Drake no had a few big runs, if memory serves me correctly, in that game. I mean, they had a problem stopping the run, but they had a problem stopping the run all of last season. But uh, as I echoed earlier and what Paul further emphasized, I think 
this is more of an issue of the fundamentals and guys not getting in position because you go back to that third and 15, Purdy threw a short pass to Debo Samuel. He gained 30 yards when it was all said and done on that play. <laughs> the third and 13, Purdy, I mean, another short pass to Christian McCaffrey. He picked up 17. And then the third and 12 but, was but you when Leonard Williams had like the roughing the passer and Kittle got 11 but, on that. And once again, that was a short pass into the flat in which then all of a sudden he became a bowling ball and started bouncing off a guy. So it's not as if... He's throwing the ball purdy down the field 15 yards, and everyone's looking and watching. This is guys are in position, and they're just not wrapping up and bringing a player down. That's the but, uh, gist also, of it. But doesn't it create more solo tackles and everything? I mean, you guys doesn't matter. Well doesn't matter. When, Your defensive players when, are paid to tackle. Yeah, I, I, I mean, don't care if it's a solo tackle or not. Get the guy down. Wouldn't it help if 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 you see you're having a problem tackling and everything, especially off a short week and everything? Where you didn't have time to prep and everything, you think you want to get more date, more date tackling and everything. Well, but in fairness, and listen, Eli, we'll let you go and appreciate the phone call. And Wink talked about this where they went through the circuit of tackling during the week and they didn't yes. have that luxury the last week. But if you go back to the Samuel play that I was referencing, Paul, that was the play where three guys were in the vicinity and then he launched forward still to pick up the first down. So to the caller's point, if you're arguing, well, you don't want one-on-one, well, you had three guys there and you still I didn't remember stop the play. So, I mean, I, I don't understand the point from that standpoint. I would say guys, once again, were in position to make plays. The execution just unfortunately did not match. James is in Georgia joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, James? What do you got for us? Hello? Oh, James going once. James going twice. Yes, James. Hey, I'll keep this so sweet. James, are you with us here on the program? Yeah, my face hit the mute button again. I'm sorry. Guys. Okay. That's okay. Well, it sounds like we woke you up from a nap, apparently. We heard a door swinging open. and What do you got for us? Oh, I got a lot. But I'm going to say let's go Liberty. Uh, let's go Giants. And let's just get some uh, production out there. Let's not start slow. Get off too early. Start. Get off the bus. Don't leave, don't leave our pads at home. You know, tackle somebody, wrap up. Like I said, take a tally, see how much they don't make uh, miss. I know everybody's going to be looking. But, you know, last game, did not miss being on Debo Samuel twice on one of those plays. So, you know, let's just have a good game. Monday night football, I know records aren't great on uh, prime time, but here's the opportunity any given Sunday, Monday, Thursday to turn that all around. Uh, like I said, let's go Liberty, let's go Giants. All right, James. Appreciate the phone call. I'm glad that we were able to squeeze him in <laughs> under the circumstances. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, in, in in looking at the game, and, and I obviously watched the Dolphins yesterday, too, already anticipating next week's game because you have to always look ahead. Yeah. Well, and they happen to be playing Buffalo, mm, who's I know. also the next opponent. I know. So it, was, it, was it, was it was great. great to be able to watch yeah. that. It, it's, I know it's the first week of October. But we're now to that line of delineation where you can't talk about September football being an extension of the preseason anymore. This is the time now where teams need to show what they really are. Okay? The Giants need to show up and be the Giants tonight. Let's not make any mistake about that. I stand by what I said. The Dolphins are a playoff team. They are not a Super Bowl team. I said that after the 70 points uh, last week. People, of course, on Overreaction Monday went bonkers. How can you say they're not a Super Bowl team? I can say that because you saw what happened yesterday. 
They got punched in the mouth by a team in their division which has owned them for the last how many years? Okay, that's why they're not a Super Bowl team. Uh, the bottom line is, you will see so many Jekyll and Hyde teams. We talked about this before the show started. San Francisco and Philadelphia are the only two undefeated teams in the National Football League today. Every other team in this league has had at least one game or maybe more than one game where they're shaking their heads at the film and saying, that's not us. That's the way this league is the first month of the season. I'm sorry, folks, but you've got to live with it. It's been that way for years, and it's not going to change. But now for the Giants, it's game number four. It's time for the real Giants to show up. It's that simple. Well, I would say your point holds true for even previous Super Bowl participants, right? I mean, you could point to a rough game or two for every Super Bowl participant. Of course. Right? I mean, That's you, the way the game is built yeah. today. Yeah. I mean, Tampa Bay, when they were with Brady and they played the Chiefs that year, the Chiefs beat them earlier in the regular season right before they went on a bye and they didn't look great in that game and then they went on the bye and they came back and they looked like a completely different team. So I'm just bringing that up in terms of Miami, they could very well get their act together. I mean, they had a well, rough game against could. Buffalo. I mean, they still were able to move the ball and put points on the board. Again, they had turnovers and the offensive line did play very you well. You don't want to play overreaction Monday either yeah. and that's to this game. Correct. Exactly. But there was a tremendous amount of overreaction after they got their 70 points yeah, well, against the Denver team that did not show up. You know why, Paul? And I that's think the way it's, it's always we, we live in, I get it. We live in a world where everybody wants to crown everybody immediately. I know. And everybody wants to dismiss everybody immediately. There's no, let's take a step back and let's wait. Three or four games before we have a better idea well, of what Well, because you need a bigger sample size than one game. Or for that matter, two games. Because you could see, we talked about this, Dallas crushes the Giants. The Cardinals pretty much handed it to Dallas. That's the way this league is. By the way, the Cardinals gave the Niners some trouble too. How about Tennessee? Last week, King Henry, he wasn't even a frog. He got his crown back yesterday, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, they steamrolled yesterday and looked like they were a bona fide contender again. Which just goes to show you it's based on matchups, right? Because the game you're referencing, Paul? It, it's about matchups and it's about inconsistent play the first month of the season. You put those two things together, is it any wonder that you get so many upsets? No, not at all. But I just wanted to emphasize your point about Tennessee. They went up against the Cleveland defensive front, okay, right, with Miles Garrett mm -hmm. and Dalvin Tomlinson mm -hmm. and Zadarius Smith mm -hmm. and Derek did find as many holes, and Tennessee's offensive line has had major issues. You know, we talk about the Giants. Look around the league. I know. There's a lot of teams that would join that parade. And then they went up against Cincinnati, which, hey, DJ Reader, Trey Hendrickson, but Hendrickson's more of a pass rusher. A little bit different in terms of maybe some breathing room yes, up front. But a heavyweight team, but nonetheless. Still a heavyweight team. By absolutely. most accounts, a Super Bowl contender. But, well... The way Cincinnati's offense well, is performing, Paul, they better Bur they better Burrow's get their act together. Has a lot to do with that. No, too. absolutely. But I'm saying they better get their act together sooner rather than later, or else they might not even make the playoffs if this carries out. Because we saw the Lions last season; they went one and six, they went eight and two, the final ten, right? And they still didn't make the playoffs. So there's only so much of a hole you could dig yourself in. Let's head back to the Lions. Joe is in New York, joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Joe? Good afternoon, gentlemen. Hi, Same to you. Um, lifelong Giant fan. And a couple of questions about some of the stats that have been thrown around about Daniel Jones lately. One, first one, his primetime record is 1-11, I believe. All right, before you go any further, in the 50-plus yes. years of primetime football in the National Football League, 
The New York Giants are more than 30 games under 500. Okay. So this is not unique to Daniel Jones. Okay? okay. That goes back all the way to Tarkenton. Thank you, Paul. I was not aware of that one. Okay. But, uh, but this is this has been a knock against Daniel Jones that he's not coming up, stepping up big in primetime games. But I would just be curious to know, I mean, I'm counting the two games this year against two of the top teams in the conference, Dallas and um, San, San Francisco. Francisco. Yeah. All the other games, I mean, I don't know if the, the playoff game against Minnesota is counting in, in that prime time. No, no. I'm just going regular season. Yeah. Okay. I'd like to know exactly how many other of those games have been against top flight teams like that. And what, you know, because this is last year was the first year the Giants had a winning, winning record when he was there. You know, he didn't have a lot around him the first three years. Mm-hmm. So just taking that stat just in and of itself without putting some context around it, you know, it kind of skews it a little bit, you know? Well, first of all, it's the Giants' record with Daniel Jones as the starter. That's number one. It's not Daniel Jones' right. record, Joe. It's the right. team's record with Daniel Jones. I mean, for example, they have not won a game on Monday Night Football with Daniel Jones as the starting quarterback, okay? That's right. how it should be worded. So it's two, three elements in play, yeah. not just the guy on an island. I will say this, though. If your point is about the context of the opponent, the bottom line is yes. they're going to put prominent teams on Monday Night Football, aren't they, Joe? Right? You know, exactly. you're going to showcase. So, so you can't. Yeah, but the point is, I would not use that as an argument to counter the team's record. When you are on prime time, you're going up against the best caliber opponent because the league wants to showcase them. So it's not going to get any easier. The point is, you're not going to look at the 2025 schedule and the Giants. They're going to put on Monday Night Football, and the league is going to go. Well, we'll put them against the three worst teams from the previous record, the previous season. <laughs> they don't do that. That's not how prime time games operate. No, that's Granted. true. That's true. You you know you know you're in for a yeah. uh, a real dog fight or a tug of war right. if you're going to be in prime time. And and so yes, most of the time it's going to be against a higher level of competition. But historically, the Giants have been a poor prime time team. That's just yes. the way it's been. I can't give you the common thread because the Giants have had some really good teams. They won four Super Bowls, but their their prime yes. time record smells. Yes. All right, second stat, and I, I think I, I think Michael Eisen might have mentioned it in his article on the um, on the app as well about how drastically Jones's passing stats drop off when he's under pressure. But without knowing how that compares to how other quarterbacks' stats drops off when they're under pressure, we don't know if that. A good stat, a bad stat, or, you know, if he's just doing what other quarterbacks do. Well, you're talking about the rest of the league and how they perform. I mean, I know the one guy that stands out to me, when Justin Herbert was a rookie, because this was brought up too, he did not have a very good offensive line because mm-hmm. Rashawn Slater wasn't right. there, Corey Lindsley wasn't there, and then since right. they've done a nice job. Herbert's numbers his rookie year, I don't have them in front of me, but when he was a rookie, he actually performed better under duress and under pressure than when the yeah. pocket was present for him to survey the field. That's a rarity, by the it way. Is. It's a rarity, but to yes. just add to your point, I don't know the rest of the NFL landscape off the top of my head, but there are quarterbacks, Joe, where they do perform actually very well despite the fact that they have been under constant pressure. And Herbert's rookie year, to me, is the best example of that. I mean, I can't give you the stats, okay. 
But if Tom Brady is the GOAT, and I think we would all agree with that, well, guess what? Yeah. There, there's, there's a definite proof positive, and I'm not going to give you the numbers because I didn't track the numbers, but it's proof positive. It is well known throughout history. Tom Brady was not as effective when he was getting hit a lot and he was under significant right. amounts of pressure. That's the way most quarterbacks are. Right. So, you know, they because they throw that stat out, but the, yeah, but as you said, that's true for most quarterbacks. So, you know, yeah, sometimes you have to take these stats with a grain of salt is all I'm saying. Sure. And we are definitely agreeing with you from that standpoint, Joe, and appreciate the phone call. You know, that's why we were talking about, you know how I feel, and I think you feel the we same way. We talk about it all the time. Stats are only good in context. Yeah. You well, pull them out individually, most of the time they're not worth a whole lot. Well, specifically, though, I don't like quarterback records. I think yeah. they're pointless to totally throw agree. out. It's the team record with the quarterback. Because you don't know, you could have played all of those games on Monday Night Football, just to use the last caller's point, and you could have lost all three games, or all four games, whatever it was, by one score. So mm-hmm. it could have been the defense was on the field for every single one of those late games mm-hmm. and they gave up a score. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to know how exactly the result panned out in order to justify why that number is being utilized. Joel is in West Palm Beach, joining us here on BBKO. What's happening, Joel? Hey, Lance Paul. Uh, good afternoon. How are you guys doing? Hello. Doing How well. are you? How about yourself? Good, man. Super excited uh, for this game. Obviously, a uh, must win for us here uh, to kind of have our playoff hopes still in the still in the future for this year. Uh, I'm just – I can't understand uh, – our, our coaches with the whole left tackle situation, um, you know, I know they tried kind of bouncing everybody around on training camp, but it's like a Zuda, that's like our best option for left tackle. You know, I know we have a couple of other players there, you know, on the practice squad, but why couldn't we get somebody manageable, you know, off the street or sign off somebody from another practice squad? It's just frustrating that we pay Jones all this money and then that's what we have to protect him is Azudu, that is a guard now playing tackle. Well, you're talking about the game of musical chairs that's going on? Is what you're frustrated by? Just so that I understand where yeah. you're coming from? Yeah, more, more the uh, left tackle situation, you know, if, if anything. Having a real left tackle out there on the field come tonight. The closest thing they would have in terms of another option, would have put Matthew Pert out there. And we've already heard a lot of complaints about Pert because he gave up pressures in the Jets' preseason game. The Giants believe that he's actually better suited to right tackle than he is left tackle, which is why they're going to Azudu first as the left tackle option. That's number one. Number two is that Azudu has a lot of experience playing left tackle when he was at North Carolina. Yeah, they moved him around. Okay. Yep. Number three, anybody... Anybody who can play left tackle is already in the league somewhere and not walking around on the street looking for a job because those guys don't grow on trees. Yeah, you're not getting a savior yeah. here. The, the other thing, just to add to your point, Paul, and I hope I wasn't cutting you off. No, I'm done. I'm add done. Something else. Bobby Johnson, Joel, the offensive line coach for the Giants, he spoke to the media on Friday, and you can check it out on Giants.com, and he was asked about why they feel so good about moving Azudu out to left tackle. And, Paul, I'm not sure if you heard this. He said that during the draft process, they watched the Zudu against Jermaine Johnson, who's mm-hmm. now on the Jets in college. And they thought in that game, actually, he moved a position. He started, I think, inside and then moved to the outside. And they were very impressed within a game 
how well he adjusted, and the caliber of the opponent. Mm -hmm. And that was a big reason why they wanted to draft him. So it's not just what they're seeing in practice. It's the experience, to Paul's point, of what he did in college, why they feel good about him being the best option at left tackle. Gotcha. Now, uh, if I could just bring up another point. Sure. Uh, I just jumped on, so I'm not sure if you guys touched on it yet, but uh, if you did, my apologies. Uh, Barkley, if he's not anywhere at 85 90%, do you play him for for tonight? Well, we talked about this earlier, and we'll let you go on that note. I think, Paul, you were aiming towards no, and I was definitely no, and I mentioned that on Friday. I don't think you chance it with respect to an ankle injury. I think you wait until he gets more recovery time. I, I just I understand Barkley is a game-changer, and he's another threat, and he's another weapon, but you can't risk the fact that what could be a three-week injury becomes seven to eight weeks, and then he's truly going to be a spectator. I just don't think it's worth it, especially knowing you have another game coming up very quickly on Sunday. Barkley, let me give you a number here, okay? When Barkley um, was injured in 2019 and he had that sprained ankle that he played through and still rushed for 1,000 yards, okay, uh, he was running for 77 yards a game, okay, on a little over 16 and a half attempts per game. Now, those are really good numbers, really good numbers. Um, but the truth is, last year, he was at over 18 carries a game and over 80 yards a game on the ground. Now, you may say, well, that's not a whole lot different. No, but it is because when you're playing on a gimpy ankle, for the better part of two months of the season, you don't have the same explosion or potential to make a big play. And that's where Barkley's extra value comes in as a headache player. You don't want teams to say, we know Barkley's only 75% for the next two months, so guess what? We don't have to worry about him breaking a big one off or making a big play in the passing game. We pretty much know that he's kind of limited he doesn't really have that extra second gear, so we're not going to worry about him as much. Part of Barkley's value is the respect he commands and the intimidation factor that when he's right, he can score from anywhere on the field in the passing game or the running game. And in 2021, you brought up 19. That was the first time he had the ankle injury. 2021 was the second time. Mm -hmm. That one, he missed four games. Now, that season, the numbers weren't as impressive as the previous year. But, you know, I remember distinctly that when he came back, he just didn't seem to have no. that same game-changing ability. He did not. Paul, in 2021. I concur totally. And, you know, I'm bringing up the game log. So, that season first few games and once again the run game that season wasn't jumping through the roof but you know he had a few games where he was in the teens he had 50 yards or so and then in the initial games right after the injury I mean he played Tampa Bay and that was a lopsided game he had six carries in that game for 25 yards and 40 yards in the next game on 13 carries you know you do the math I mean that's three yards per carry we're talking about it wasn't that explosion. Later on in the season, they played Dallas. He had 15 carries for 50 yards, three yards a carry, 15 for 32, two yards a carry. And then the last game against Washington, 11 for 30, just over two yards a carry. In short, can we agree on this? Saquon Barkley has to be Saquon Barkley for the Giants to have a real chance to be a playoff team. Agreed? 100%. And that probably is the best reason that you could give somebody for sitting him out tonight. 
because he's got to be himself for the Giants to truly be where they want to be. And this idea, I know a lot of people would throw out, Paul, to counter that. They would say, well, you got to put him out on the field because you give the defense something to think about. But the problem is, if the defense notices that he's not himself... Yeah, if they don't respect him... They're going to get to the point where they're like, we're not worried about him. We don't have to worry about bringing over an extra guy or having somebody spy him. So defenses are not stupid. They're not naive. They're eventually going to catch on. Same thing with defensive coordinators. They know what a player looks like right prior to an injury versus how he operates after an injury. So that's more of a reason why it's not worth it in the big picture of things. But you've got Daniel Jones and his running ability. And that, to me, is something to watch tonight because they only gave him two at-bats in the Niners game. And I understand game flow definitely played a role in that, but I think you want Seattle to have to get out and tackle him, and you want Seattle to have something additional to think about where Daniel could salvage a play. I don't think the Niners had much to think about. You mentioned something the other day, I guess it was on Friday's show, about how Seattle has played stationary quarterbacks. Correct. Do you know that yep. quarterbacks have only rushed the ball five times through three weeks against the Seattle defense? which further illustrates your point. That's the fewest uh, that any defense has faced in terms of opposing quarterback rushes. Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff, Andy Dalton, by the way, just okay. so that our audience knows. So here's the Seattle defense, which is absolutely rigid against the run, giving up 2.9 yards a carry. All right, top three, I believe, in the National Football League. But they have not faced the various rushing weaponry that a mobile quarterback can bring to the table. Now, I say that because it's definitely relevant tonight. It gives me very, 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 very bad nervous twitches because you know how I don't like to see Daniel Jones run more than four times a game. I don't think that's a really good way to go, certainly on a consistent basis. But if you have to do it tonight and Daniel has to take off eight or nine times, Well, then God bless him, cross your fingers, hope he doesn't get hurt, and hope that it proves fruitful enough for the Giants to win the game. And on this season, whether Saquon has played or not, Daniel just has not had a huge amount of runs overall. You know, I know he did have the 13 against Dallas, but remember, part of that was not because of scheme, but it was because Dallas was going right. Daniel found the opening left. Mm -hmm. The point is, I would not use the Cowboys game as an example of, oh, well, look at how much the Giants had Daniel run. I think Daniel was running to adjust Paul to what Dallas was presenting him. I'm talking about you go into a game where you say, we're scheming for Daniel He's going to be part of the run game. We have not seen much of that. That's Mm -hmm. my point. Now, Mm -hmm. if there's any game to unleash that a little bit, I think you want to test the boundaries of this Seattle defense because I know this is a minuscule sample size, and as I've emphasized, they haven't played the most mobile guys, but Andy Dalton ran two times, and I thought Andy actually had some success, right? He did. Extending the play. So Andy Dalton. Yeah, uh, Andy Dalton of all guys, when he got out and ran a little. Cement shoes. Yeah, correct. He, you know, took off and he averaged over five yards per carry. So if Andy could do that, then, you know, you might as well take Daniel Jones out for a ride and see what he could do, especially since the Niners, and I listened to all the San Francisco players, I don't know if I mentioned this to you when we were on following the game, but they spoke to the media after the game, and they said going into that game, they had anticipated that there was going to be a lot of Daniel Jones running. They prepared for it because they knew the Niners had had trouble 
with quarterbacks playing a prominent role in the run game. So they knew going in, all right, we're going up against Daniel Jones, he's going to run. And they were a bit surprised that it only took off two times because you know the Niners went in, all right, if Saquon's out on the field, then our primary focus is on Daniel Jones. So mm-hmm. Seattle's thinking the same thing. We don't have to worry about Saquon. We are going to worry about Daniel Jones. The question is, are you going to give the Seahawks something, Paul, to worry about? Mm-hmm. And that lies in the hands of the Giants tonight, more so than the opposition. Look, Daniel Jones is going to have to be the star of the game tonight. Whether or not he winds up running five times or nine times, okay? That's almost like inconsequential to me. I think he probably is going to have to run it more than I'd like him to, but he's going to have to do some things through the air to beat Seattle. Case closed. This 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 group of receivers and this tight end, Darren Waller, who had a tough game in San Francisco, they better make sure they make the plays that need to be made. And if they got to go above the X's and O's to make a couple of those two, well, damn it, they better do it. Because this game, this game's going to require that kind of output and that kind of effort. Jared Goff in that game that went to overtime, he had 323 yards and three touchdowns. They bottled up the Lions' rushing attack. And then you look at what Seattle did against Carolina. Also, they took away the run game, and it was Andy Dalton, who is a polished veteran, but he had to rely on the DJ Charks of the world and the Adam Thielens. Dalton threw for 361 yards in that game. But here's where the balance has to come into play, and I'll leave with this final note. Dalton, Paul... He threw the ball 58 times and was mm-hmm. sacked three times. That means that the Panthers had Andy Dalton drop back 61 times yeah. in that last game. Yeah. I understand you're talking about Daniel's got to make plays through the air. If Daniel drops back 61 times, oh, man. I do not like the chances for the Giants tonight. That's usually not a good idea for anybody. Yeah. Well, it's not good for anybody, I agree, but if you have a veteran, maybe you can breathe. Frank Wright could say, okay, Andy, who he's also not our primary starter, you know, we could make him be the sacrificial lamb for today. But no, oh, you do not want to put a quarterback in that position, which just goes to show you how difficult it's been for most teams to run the ball yes. against Seattle. Yes. And I think that's what really we're spelling you, out You here. have to open up the running game by using the pass. This is the reverse of what the conventional wisdom is. You need the yep. pass to open up the run. You try to get out of this game in the beginning, get out of the gate with a running game against Seattle, they will shut that down, and now you're going to be totally one-dimensional the rest of the night, and that's a problem. Because the Giants never gave the Niners' defense a reason for those safeties to nope back up a little bit, nope. right? never did. They had all never the did. time in the world to just survey the front. Never did. So can you give Reek Woolen and Witherspoon and Adams and Julian Love and Quandre Diggs. Can you give him a reason to backpedal a little bit tonight? That will also tell an awful lot. All right. That's going to wrap up Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Today's episode, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. We are back up and running again tomorrow at 12.30 p.m. Eastern, as well as the rest of the week. For Paul Dettino. 6.15 tonight. Meadow. Right, John? 6.15 tonight. Pre-game show. See you then. We'll speak to you on Tuesday. Have a good one. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. 
Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Turns out a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything they make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, their cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Visit MrsMyers.com today.